listening to Detroit Today. Thanks for joining us. I'm Laura Weber Davis sitting in for Stephen Henderson today. He'll be back on Monday after taking a much-needed vacation. The man has many jobs, wears many hats, rarely takes a break. So I'm happy that he's taking a break. He'll be back here Monday uh, ready and raring to go, ready to answer your phone calls and have a lively discussion, I would hope. So let's talk about what's in the news right now. Tomorrow will mark day 100 of President Donald Trump's administration. It's this artificial benchmark that we use for the president's to measure their ability to work with Congress on their priorities. But it has no real bearing on anything other than public opinion, and maybe not even that. If nothing else, the 100-day mark really does this important thing. It tells us about the direction, the tenor, the Constitution, not the literal Constitution, but the internal one of a president, and who th- this president who will lead our country for the next several years. So what do we know about President Trump, in your opinion, that we didn't know 100 days ago? Have you learned something new that you didn't see or hear on the campaign trail last year? We want to hear from you this hour. Give us a call. 313-577-1019. What do you know about President Trump as a voter or as an American citizen, as a taxpayer? Uh, What do you know about your president that you didn't know 100 days ago? 313-577-1019 is the number to call. Uh, Some things that we do know policy-wise, he hasn't succeeded in repealing and replacing Obamacare, though he and congressional leadership are still working on health care reform. He doesn't appear willing to die on a hill over uh, funding for a border wall, at least not in this budget cycle, it doesn't appear. And he's developing an aggressive, if not impulsive, military strategy at times. Uh, And maybe most recently, he says that he is prepared to unveil a plan for major tax reform, uh, that we would see large cuts across the board. So these are some of the things that we do know about where he's headed policy-wise. Joining me to discuss that today is Randy Richardville. He's a former state Senate majority leader. He's also the former Trump campaign co-chair for the 7th Congressional District. Randy, great as always to have you on the program. Thank you, Laura. It's good to be here this morning. Thank you for joining us. Also on the phone, we have David Shepardson. He's a reporter for Reuters in D.C. He covered congressional politics for the Detroit News for many years. David, welcome to the program. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you for being on. Uh, I want to start with you, David. Um, What are we hearing on uh, Capitol Hill about... How how are leaders feeling about where things have gone or where they're going in the first 100 days? Like I said, there's sort of this artificial marker that we create, but are, are people feeling confident? Are lawmakers and lobbyists feeling confident that they're going to be able to get things done with this with this president? You know, I, I think so. I think there's a lot of optimism around the tax proposal that the president put forward this week, in part because he shifted away from... The, the idea of tax reform and went to, you know, more toward tax cuts. In other words, this is more about giving a broad base of tax cuts as opposed to, to you know, making some individuals pay more or cut a lot of significant deductions. So I think, I think people are optimistic, but there's no question that the administration has had a lot of, a lot of stumbles and growing pains, starting with the health care vote and, you know, kind of the the differing positions on whether he would demand border wall funding and the the supplemental appropriation bill. So clearly they have not gotten a lot of legislative accomplishments, and they'd be the first to admit that in this 100-day period. And the the question is going to be how much are they going to stay focused on trying to get, is it health care, is it tax reform, 
is it another legislative accomplishment as opposed to sort of jumping back and forth? Because up until yesterday, they were still talking about voting on health care this weekend, and now they're not going to do that. Right. Well, you know, I, I'm curious about the 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 I guess the feasibility of getting the tax package passed um, along the lines of the health care problem with the tax package. It seems like something that would be a sticking point for a lot of people is that the tax cuts are not paid for uh, elsewhere and that the argument being that the economy will grow enough with the tax cuts, that the economy will grow enough to supplement those cuts. But that seems you know, that seems a little bit like a a wish rather than an, an actuality at this point. So are there people who are afraid on the far right that um, that if we if we aren't talking about how we're going to replace that that money that's lost, it could add to the deficit as well. And so maybe they wouldn't be supporting of it. Well, the, the first question is we don't know what the score is, right? So they haven't we haven't gotten all the details. We just got a one page fact sheet about what these cuts or these tax cuts will look like until we actually see the score. But based on the, what the president's campaign promises were and this this fact sheet, there are estimates that this could increase the deficit from anywhere from 3 to $7 trillion over 10 years, a lot of that contingent on what the growth rate is. And remember, just today, the first three months of the year, the growth rate was a very slow 0.7%. So, you know, less than a percent. Right. The president wants at least 3% growth. Last year, it was under 2%. So, you know, a lot of these forecasts that the deficit would not be as as great, are, you know, are hinge on a dramatic increase in economic growth. And so the big question is going to be, will deficit hawks, and especially in the Republican Party, are they going to go along with massive tax cuts uh, on the hope that growth would be high enough to offset a lot of those reductions? But there's no question that if you look at previous tax cuts, the 1980s, while certainly there was an increase in economic growth, they were not paid for. And this dynamic scoring has not has not led to the, de- the level of deficit reduction that, that people have predicted in the past. Well, so the thing I, I should re- uh, let listeners know that just before this program, news was breaking that the first quarter in the first quarter, it's reported that the U.S. economy only grew by 0.7%, which is a small amount. But David, I, you know, before I talk to Randy on that as well, I just want to, how, how much will we hear um, from either side about who's to blame for that? Because it seems to me that it's very easy for either side to pin the blame for a uh, sluggish economy on the other party. We could easily say this is the result of uh, President Obama's policies that are now just, uh, you know, come, the bills come due on those. Oh, absolutely. I mean, President Trump only took office January 20th. But look, there are, there's a lot of uncertainty in the economy right now, and part of it has been driven by President Trump. I mean, remember, up in, a couple of days ago, he was threatening to with, withdraw from NAFTA, a, a decision that could be potentially devastating to U.S. farmers and manufacturers, like the auto companies in Michigan who rely on uh, an integrated supply chain throughout North America. So, you know, part of the part of the growth issue is about sort of the uncertainty. And on the other hand, the you know Republicans in the White House say, "Look, the president's taking a lot of steps to get rid of unnecessary regulations, and has made his focus on meeting with, you know, probably close to 200 CEOs and other business leaders to say what can the government do to get out of the way of job creators and and create more jobs." So clearly, that's his focus. I mean, the first three months of the year, we're not, we haven't seen a, a big uptick 
in jobs or economic growth, but it's still too early. And I think it's it's not it, we don't it's, not, it's unclear who's responsible. Is it Trump for two months or is it the overhang from eight years of President Obama? Right. You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Laura Weber Davis sitting in for Stephen today. He'll be back on Monday. We're talking about Donald Trump's tax plan and his first 100 days in office. Give us a call. We want to hear from you as well on this conversation. Have you learned something new about President Trump that you didn't know while he was campaigning? 313-577-1019. Also, when you're looking at his tax cuts, are you looking forward to them? Are you nervous about them? What are you thinking about some of the policy suggestions he's put forward as well? 313 313- Five seven seven one zero one nine is the number to call. Randy, I want to talk to you about the corporate tax cut that's been proposed. I'm also looking at Susan Tompor's article uh, in the Detroit Free Press. It's a really nice, comprehensive article if anybody's looking um, for some perspective on what we know so far. So a sharp uh, cut in the corporate tax rate from 35 to 15 percent. Um, you've dealt a lot with business taxes, uh, both passing them, passing taxes on businesses and rolling them back at various parts in the legislature uh, while you were there. What do you make of a large cut like this, what it could do to an economy, um, both positively or negatively? Well, you know, we had the same kind of situation back in uh, 2010. Well, actually, the beginning of 2011, when Governor Snyder took office for the first time. Um, we had significant issues with revenue. We had uh, a sluggish economy. Michigan, I think, ranked 50th in the country in, in regard to its economic stature uh, among the states. And uh, so we did go in, first of all, to begin with, over the first six months. Our, our goal was to get things done, balance a budget for the first time in several years, not close down the government, give people time to, to plan over the summer for what the budget looked like and to make some economic policy that uh, would change and help to invigorate the economy. And we did that. We eliminated the corporate Michigan business tax, that MBT thing that happened during the Granholm administration, and uh, slowed down taxes considerably, reduced taxes considerably for small businesses, which we believe was the backbone of the Michigan economy. Uh, also, you know, we talked about the individual taxes and taxing of pensions and, and ramping that up over time because people are living longer and using government services. So we felt it was fair to do that as long as they hadn't been retired for a while and were on fixed income. So we, we stair-stepped that in over a number of years and totally redid the tax structure and then looked at long-term investments and long-term pension obligations, etc. What Governor Snyder did uh, was... Uh, nothing shy of genius, I, I believe. Um, and, and I think that you won't see some of those benefits for 20 years. Uh, I know he said he, right. he would love to be government governor in the year 2025 because that's when a lot of these reductions kick in. Well, but even so, we saw revenue estimating conferences, these conferences where uh, interested parties, people who are dealing with the budget before it gets passed or after it gets passed, rather, um, the treasurer, the state treasurer, the, we get together and we hear about whether or not the revenue is meeting the projections and yeah. what where we're projected to go from there. And we've seen shortfalls in those uh, in those meetings uh, recently. And I think there's some question as to whether or not their hindsight being what it is, if some of the things that have been done with our tax structure and tax code have have been most beneficial for uh, for this economy that's always very fragile here in Michigan. Yeah, our, our economy tends to lead the rest of the country. In other words, when there's an economic right. downturn with the auto industry, people are, are tend to buy 
big products, big uh, big purchases, less than they did in the past. And so autos are, are one of the first things to go. And that, of course, drives our economies to, to a degree. Right. So we're the first to show a recession. And then we're the uh, the slowest to, to, to have a recovery because now as people start to spend money, it takes longer because those are big purchases. So um, when you look at economic theory, and I, you know, I studied economics in, in college, my undergraduate degree and graduate degree, actually. Um, and there's always a lag effect. I know that David, when he was talking earlier about right. 0.7% growth, and that's a dismal growth or a small growth in the first quarter, it takes a long time for these economic policies uh, to, to take place. If we backed up and said, what do you think, how do you think Donald Trump is doing overall and had to give him a letter grade, I think I'd give him a B. I think he's been talking about and acting on the things that he said during his campaign. I think he underestimated how difficult it is to work with the Congress. And uh, I think the same right. thing happened when Governor Snyder took office. Um, no, n- nothing bad to say about either one. It's just that it's a it's a tricky environment when you have in Michigan 148 legislators. And then in, in the United States Congress, you have 535 counting the Senate. Um, it's a it's a complicated, difficult um, uh, situation to deal with. Uh, it took Governor Snyder a, a while to understand this, but once he did, he became very good at a relationship with the uh, with the legislature. Right. I see Donald Trump doing similar kinds of things. Well, B for big league in this case. Uh, <laughs> well, I uh, think that, that that underestimation of how difficult it is. He's not a COO or a CEO. He is a president. He's still got to work with the people. He's still got to work with the representatives of the people who have spent a lifetime being there. And he has an experience that's not even 100 days at this point. Right. Well, I'm going to challenge you on some of that in the of next course. segment. I would I, be disappointed I would take, if you did it. I would take a, a little bit of exception to a letter B grade, but um, we'll get into that in the next segment. I want to, David Shepherdson, I want to ask you about the corporate uh, tax cut that's been proposed from 35 to 15 percent. Um, that seems to me like it would be obviously very popular with Republican establishment as well. But there is this, there is this overall sense of the average working man. Uh, I am, you know, in that group of people who just thinks aren't corp- corporations doing all right? Um, small businesses aside that often need uh, often need help to get going and create jobs. It seems to me like we've seen an abundance of CEOs that have um, sort of exorbitant uh, salaries that have only increased over the years and that a corporate tax rate cut like this is not going to speak well to the average person who thinks, well, I'm only making $20,000 a year or you know $30,000 a year. And it doesn't seem to me like if I'm making a few hundred dollars more in my tax refund, that that, you know, that doesn't even seem wor- hardly worth it if your corporation is is just getting more money in their pockets. No, that's a key question that the president is going to have to address to, to sell the tax plan, because as you point out, if you drop the corporate tax rate from 35 to 15 percent, that means corporations are going to be paying less in taxes than a lot of individuals. The individual tax rate would be higher. And a lot of these tax cuts are heavily weighted toward the wealthiest people. He proposes getting rid of the alternative minimum tax and the Obama uh, 3.8% surcharge on investment income. So a lot of the, these taxes would, be, would, would, would benefit wealthy people and uh, the president himself based on the, the tax returns that have been made public from from a, a while ago. And so that is going to be a challenge to, to sell. And on the other hand, they're going to make the argument that, look, if you cut taxes on 
on companies. They're going to hire more people. And there, we do, there, there's still a lot of people who don't have jobs, and economic growth is pretty sluggish. And this would make the U.S. more competitive with other countries that have lower tax rates. It is important to know that almost no company, no major company pays 35%. That's the, that's the rate in the books that, given all the deductions, that the, you know, the actual the effective tax rate for most companies is far less than 35%. Right. Well, David Shepardson, I want to thank you so much for filling us in a little bit about what's going on in Washington. We always appreciate having your perspective here on the program. Thanks. Good to be both with both of you. David Shepardson is a reporter for Reuters in D.C. He also covered politics for a long time with the Detroit News. He's based out of Washington, D.C. We're going to now change the subject of uh, how you feel like Donald Trump's done in the past 100 days. We're going to have you stay on the phones, 313-577-1019, 313-577-1019. Jim, you're going to be up first. We want to know... What have you learned about President Trump since he's taken office that you didn't know on the campaign trail? Or have you only been reaffirmed? Or have you only been validated in how you felt before? We want to hear from you. 313-577-1019. We'll see you in a minute. News, music, culture, and community. Every day. Every day. Every day. On 1019 WDET. Detroit's public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Laura Weber Davis. Thanks so much for joining us today. Stephen Henderson is out for the day, but he will be back on Monday. I'm joined now by Randy Richardville. He's a former state Senate majority leader and also a Trump campaign co-chair for the 7th Congressional District. We want to talk to you about what you've learned about Donald Trump in the first 100 days. It's an artificial marker that we create to sort of determine how do we feel about the president? Have we learned anything new? Or have we only been validated in our belief that we learned along the campaign trail about how this leader would lead? 313-577-1019 is the number to call. 313-577-1019. First, we're going to go to Jim in Lake Orion. Jim, welcome to the program. Thanks. Good morning. Yeah, thanks Um, for joining us. Tell us, what do you think about the first 100 days? Well, I think what uh, the the most important thing that's uh, surprised me and that's very troubling indeed is that uh, how um, difficult and complicated uh, uh, Donald Trump is finding out it is to run the country. Um, he was, uh, and we said, how, how who knew that uh, health care reform would be so complicated? Right. Uh, who knew, you know, passing uh, um, uh, uh, the an immigration law would be so complicated? Uh, he's, he hasn't uh, gotten any place yet. Uh, he, tax reform is going to be ten times more complicated. Uh, he knows very little about how the government works, and it uh, it's very troubling because uh, uh, this, to me, is not an on-the-job training job. Right. This is a job where uh, experience does count, and knowing something about how to run the government, how to be the president of the United States, uh, is important. And he knows, it seems, came into the job knowing virtually nothing. Yeah, Jim, thank you so much for that call. I really appreciate it. 313-577-1019. Again, 313-577-1019 to join in the conversation. Randy, I do want to ask you about that moment where Donald Trump said, um, who knew that health care would be so complicated? Or who knew reforming health care would be so complicated? I think there were a lot of people who threw their hands in the air, pulled their hair, and said, uh, everyone, 
Everyone knew. No, but there are very few people who want to run for a high office like this because you either have to have one or two. You really have to have one of two things. You either have to have an incredible amount of gall to think I can do something like reform health care for hundreds of millions of people. Um, or you have to sort of be ignorant of what it's going to take. And I, I'm not so much calling the president ignorant as I'm as I'm concerned that the rest of America seem to understand how difficult it may be and that very few people would understand that it was going to be extremely difficult. Yeah, well, yeah, the, uh, everything in government is extremely difficult. Like I mentioned before, you're talking about working with hundreds of people from all around the country, uh, right. representing numbers of people, thousands, and uh, in, in some cases, even millions of people. Um, and, and they've been around for a long time. They know the game better than Donald Trump does. He's surrounded himself with some pretty good people. I, I've told you before, I think, that uh, I believe there are three personas in, in play. One of them is somebody who... Uh, knows how to get television ratings up and says mm-hmm. things to get attention, and he, the he apprentice, does that. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the second one is um, somebody who's running for election and, and tries to communicate with the people and, and tell them what he's going to do. Nobody that's running for president or any other office gets to unilaterally decide what happens once you get in office. So it's one thing to talk about it, and there's another thing to get it done. The, the, the third uh, component of Donald Trump's personality that I've noticed is one that's a very... Um, intuitive, uh, very willing to listen, um, strong-minded businessman. And I was watching television uh, just earlier this morning and uh, over the last few weeks uh, since that first health care um, uh, proposal went down where he's taking some swing seat people. He's taking people from the Freedom Caucus. He's taking people from not the Main Street Republic, mainstream Republican um, a, a group and sitting down and talking with him one on one, the way that I think he can do things the best. And I, I listened to negotiator. Some, yeah, yeah I, right. I, I listened to some of the representatives explain. One of them from I think his name is Jordan. From uh, uh, anyway, one of them from New York, who uh, he sat down with, and he was telling the uh, the story that Donald Trump listened to what he said, understood that New Yorkers are different than mainstream United States, and here are some things that we can do. I believe that Republicans in general had a few things. Um, they want people to get insurance, but if you're able-bodied, we want you to be able to work before you get that insurance. Um, we want the premiums to go down and some of the business mandates that burden business to be eliminated from that first round, uh, the first proposal that went through. These are things that I think most conservatives believe in, that it's not easy when you're on the campaign trail to know that all these kinds of complications will come in. And again, there's a learning curve, and it's a difficult learning curve. This 100 days is some artificial thing that somebody came up with. I heard Paul Ryan recently say that, you know, rather than try and get the votes and pressure uh, his members to, to vote yes, uh, instead they want to get it right. Well, that not, seems not to me that that should have been the strategy. That's sort of They put the cart before the horse on that one because it seems to me like that should have been the strategy long ago. Let's figure out what pieces we can deal with one at a time rather than deciding that they needed to package for this artificial marker. It seems to me the only reason that it was pushed forward like that was because of this artificial marker we've created, that we must get this huge thing done in 100 days, where wouldn't it have been a more effective strategy to say, I don't like this piece of the legislation, and I don't think uh, 80% of America likes it either, and so let's work on this rather than focusing on repealing something, quote-unquote, Obamacare, Rather than focusing on that, why not deal with these subjects piecemeal, one at a time, over four years? If you remember, um, I believe back in February when I was talking to Stephen, I said that if this was, if, if I was the Senate Majority Leader in Washington, that I would have proposed we take this one piece at a time, 
get a victory and then move on, get another victory and, and try and appease as many of the different interests that, that you can to get a good overall package and not try right. and do everything at once. Because it's so complicated, there are unforeseen difficulties that come out in anything that you do. One thing I would point out, though, I believe that um, Spencer, uh, his press secretary, has been out every day. Spicer. Just Spicer, Spicer. Yeah. Has been out every day talking to people and listening to the press, tries to communicate very well. When I look on the other side, I don't see, I, I mean, I see an attempt by the Trump administration to try and unite people. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I look at the other side and I hear Nancy Pelosi doing nothing but criticizing and doing nothing but standing up against everything they try to do. I don't uh, yeah, see a united like thing going when on. When you were in office, Gretchen Whitmer was doing nothing and blah, blah, blah. The truth is the Democrats right now are super hobbled in Washington. It is not their obligation to bring people together right now. In fact, if you deal with... I would like to believe if you were Senate Majority Leader in Washington, you would have at least given Merrick Garland a hearing. Because I know you and I believe that you would have at least given him a hearing. In fact, you often talked about things that were unpopular on the floor. But that didn't happen. And so I feel like uh, there there is no obligation on the Democratic side to play ball right now in any way. Not only that, but for Donald Trump to then say, well, this didn't pass because the Democrats didn't come forward, which was also artificial. I know we use that word a lot this hour, but... It seems like that's that that makes no sense to to say that it's the Democrats fault when we have complete control right now by a Republican legislature. I mean, P Republican Congress. Pardon me. No, I and, and I agree with with parts of that. I agree with the fact that you can't blame the other side if you can't get things done when you have the majority. Right now, if I contrast Nancy Pelosi with Gretchen Whitmer, Gretchen would get up and on a pretty regular basis criticize the things that we were doing or that the Snyder administration was doing. But when uh, all was said and done, we would go back and talk about things that were beneficial to all the people that we could work together. And we put our differences aside and worked on right. that. I don't believe that's happening in Washington. And maybe that's why it's being called a swamp, because it does right. happen here in Michigan, but it's not happening there. Yeah, but maybe we need to fill the swamp up more and make it a lake, and then it's beautiful. Well, there's <laughs> less algae. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Uh, I don't know. We're the Great Lakes state. Maybe we should be the ones that start that. Uh, exactly. I'm not sure. But, you know, here's, here's another interesting interesting thing, I think. When I was in, in school and got a report card at the end of the first semester or whatever, right. uh, I would get a letter grade, but I'd also get a conduct grade. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, did you get that? No. Oh, okay. Well, a one was I mean that you were like an angel. Grade. <laughs> <laughs> a two meant that you were pretty good. A C meant, or three meant you were kind of average and could do better. And sometimes you get a call to your parents about that, which I, I did a couple of times. Um, <laughs> But I, I would overall say because of the communication and the underestimation of some of the things that it takes to get things done through a Congress and saying you're going to have an artificial deadline and get things done, that uh, I would grade him down to a B. But uh, as far as the conduct goes, I, I don't like the twi uh, tweets and the Twitters and the name calling. And it, you <laughs> the know, there's been some dignity on, that has come away from that office, an office right. that I respect. And so I'd give him more like a three when it comes to that. So I'd like to see that improve. Right. Um, I don't know that we will in the short term. It's interesting. I, you have to admit that he has softened, especially within the past month, as I think he's understanding the scope and breadth of what he's doing. And I'm about to go back to the phones here because I want to pull other people in. But I just, uh, you know, something that struck me about an interview he did recently, sort of reaching this 100-day threshold he said that, um, you know, one of the things he's been surprised by is the amount of heart one needs to have because you're considering the lives of many people, uh, that the presidency requires a lot of having a lot of heart and that in business you don't have to have heart. And that's of all the things that he said, uh, I think I find that most disturbing because businesses are still dealing with the livelihoods of people. I mean, I think 
didn't we learn from the Supreme Court that businesses are people, corporations are people? And, you know, that that I'm glad that he is learning along the way that people's livelihoods are at stake with this role. But I find it disappointing that all the way up until he took this office, he maybe wasn't considering the livelihoods of other people, even when he was considering running for this office. Yeah, again, sometimes his communication, when it, when it talks about the ratings and, and things, he says things. I, I don't believe now. I, I know uh, personally a number of the business leaders of Michigan, and Doug Rothwell leads that organization, and it's basically the top 100 CEOs in Michigan. I don't know any of them that don't have a big heart about the employees that they serve. Right. Uh, they understand uh, that. I don't believe that Donald Trump is just a cold-hearted businessman that that throughout this career, his career has just let people, um, in, you know, suffer with the decisions that he made. I'm sure that he considers. In fact, those he's things. built up a lot of loyalty with many of his employees. It, that was you, that was clear. You could see that, yes. And and what was it? Was it take your child to work day uh, today or yesterday, yesterday or something? Yeah. And he had all the employees uh, on his staff, their children come in and, and had pictures taken with them. It was kind of a surprise thing. I don't believe he's a cold-hearted guy that doesn't consider it. What I would do, doesn't consider those things. What I would say is that when you're in an office like this versus your own corporation, you are talking about millions and hundreds of millions of people. Right. And every decision affects a whole lot of families and all. So the breadth of that can be overwhelming. And maybe he didn't understand that everybody can be affected by, by the small decisions. Like small decisions. Right. Yes. Let's go back to the phones here. Denise is in Sterling Heights. Denise, welcome to the program. Hi. Hi, yes. What do you think? Um, well, I agree with the first caller, um, Jim. I have some of the same concerns that he has. Um, since your uh, guest brought up uh, a conduct grade as well as a performance grade, um, I would give Donald Trump a C for a performance. I mean, obviously, it's only been 100 days. He hasn't been able to do much. But as far as the conduct, he gets an F. So that, for me, averages out to be a D for total everything. Um, I, I find it increasingly disturbing that we don't know a lot, even though I reaffirmed my concerns about him on the campaign trail. We still don't know a lot about him. We don't have his tax returns. And people keep saying that that doesn't matter. But we know he has a lot of personal interests, and a lot of his policy is going to be driven by his personal interests as, well uh, as well as to benefit his family. I also have concerns about... Uh, the nepotism that's occurring with his uh, daughter and his son-in-law being in um, very prominent roles, meeting with world leaders. I think that's very inappropriate, and I thought we had um, control. Uh, we had measures to uh, avoid that type of conflict. Um, he's learning on the job. People are saying, give him some time, but it's funny how amnesia develops because you know, when other leaders made mistakes on the other side of the aisle, it was like, oh, they're doing terrible, this and that. But now it's like, oh, give him time, he'll learn. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just hoping that he develops a level of maturity. He kind of cuts back on the um, tweeting and he starts to behave a little bit more presidential. And he does realize that he is not a corporation anymore. He is not representing his corporation. He's representing the American people and that the policy that he makes mm -hmm. affects the lives of those coal miners that he was batting for, of the and those people need health care, those people need benefits, and those people 
are a large part of his voting block, and he needs to realize that it affects everyone. Denise, thank you so much for the call. You probably listed about uh, six different subjects we could go a full hour on, uh, but unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. I really appreciate you with the final thought. Randy Richardville, as always, thank you so much for joining us. I always appreciate your perspective. Likewise. Thank you very much, Laura. Coming up next, we'll hear from a local poet about how our families, how our DNA, help craft who we are. It's coming up. Thank you.